Welcome to the Fright Lab. I'm Lucas Yoakum, and with me tonight is the party host with terror on his mind, Mr. Joseph Wren. <laughs> How excited are you to finally cover this movie, Joe? We talked about elevated horror as a concept. I wouldn't call this movie elevated, but it did come out at a strange time in the entertainment business where writers were on strike and we were getting past this found footage thing and people were taking some risks again in film and television. And I remember thinking this movie really wants to be smart like Inception, but something's not right. And I'm glad we're talking about it tonight because this is one of those times where we get to cross the streams of horror, thriller, science fiction, and it's not about the scary things happening, or it's not about the evil thing that's going to get you. It's how a group of people deal with an intensifying situation. Not scary, but the situation does get out of hand, and I'm anxious to hear what you really think of this movie, because I have some thoughts. And I think once you read up on how this movie was made and some of the ideas behind the filming of the individual scenes, it's an enjoyable flick. I really think it's a good one. All right. So with all that in mind, I want to start our chat tonight with a question. How do you describe the boundaries between horror movies, thrillers, and science fiction? We all accept that the boundaries between genres are more or less wholly arbitrary, and also they're so flexible that they can sometimes just break completely. For instance, one would not typically say that the first released Star Wars films, the original trilogy, were horror movies, right? They're sci-fi and they're fantasy, but they're definitely not horror, right? But what about Alien? Ridley Scott's Alien. Totally a horror movie in a sci-fi setting. And you could definitely make the argument, I think, that the 2007 David Fincher-directed Zodiac is way more of like a true crime thriller kind of thing, but it has some seriously deep horror influences. But some movies sort of do it all. And when they do, the results are often surreal and nightmarish, dealing with deeply weird subjects in deeply weird ways. You could talk about most of David Lynch's films in that regard. Inland Empire, Eraserhead, Blue Velvet. All cross a bunch of genre signifiers off a list. But how the hell do you even describe Lynch's whole deal? He wouldn't. Joe, are we just going to have to talk about Lynch at some point? I think we could do an entire four-hour symposium on just what you think about Lynch because <laughs> the gamut is vast. I think a lot of people think Lynch and it's either Eraserhead or Twin Peaks. There is so much more, so much less disturbing in his filmography. He's someone I would call an artist, and I think the term applies I know you're a fan of Lynch. I know I'm a fan of some of his more surreal films, but there's some good stuff in there. Like, what was the name of the movie with um, the old man on the tractor? Oh, going the to straight visit his story. Brother? The straight story. That's not scary. No, it's it is. It's. I think it's just like a PG kind of family drama. It's. Would you think that's a Lynch film? 
I'm if I didn't know any better. Yeah, no, I, I don't think <laughs> I, I don't think I would guess that it was a lynch flick right off the top. But we will not be falling down the rabbit hole of David Lynch tonight, unfortunately. Instead, I'm finally going to have a chance to talk about a movie first suggested by my esteemed co-host, Joe. Are you excited? Joe, what's the name of the movie we're covering tonight? Tonight, we will be talking about 2013's Coherence, a release from James Ward Burkett. Now, James Ward Burkett may not be the first name that pops into your head when you're thinking movies at all, but rest assured, you've seen his work. Uh, He first cut his teeth as a conceptual artist on the first three Pirates of the Caribbean films. He would then go on to be a collaborator on a very oddball Gore Verbinski animated feature called Rango. But Coherence was his first feature film, and right out the gate, he shows a great skill for getting weird and just taking a story along just his own unique direction. Trying to talk about Coherence in any normal way is virtually impossible. It's an odd production with an odd approach using odd subjects to create a film universe. It is, in my opinion, near perfect fodder for this podcast. And to illustrate why, we need to lay out the questions we're asking for tonight's episode. First off, we're going to try to suss out the details of my initial point. Where's the line between science fiction, horror, and thrillers? We're also going to have to dig into the many little details of this film. There's mention of stuff like the Tunguska incident, a little-known Fordian event that's fascinating and underreported. These sorts of incidents might shed some light on the creation of the film's unusual attitude and atmosphere. And I want to also get into how this movie's production contributes to the genuinely unsettling nature of this little gem. But as always, in order for us to talk about this film, for us to even have a conversation at all, we got to talk about some plot. Amir is bringing Laurie to dinner. Amir is a total jackass. Everyone else still not have service. I got zero. On the news, you know, they're talking about the comet. Yeah, yeah. Wheeler's comet. After it passed, people get lost. And they keep telling people that this can happen. The chicken tastes like tuna. It must be Miller's comet. (laughs) The whole neighborhood is out of power, uh, except for a house about two blocks up. Ah! Mike, is that door locked? I'll I'll check it. Baby, stay away from the door. I can't stand this. I'm going to go see what's going on. I'm sorry, but I'm going. This is bad. This is really Wait, bad. Wait, what's the box? That was at the other house. Oh, oh my God. God. Baby, what did you see? Hugh, what, you? Did, what you did you see? What did you see? We don't even belong here. Everybody knew about we this. Thought he, you told knew. Us, thought you he told knew. us. He told us. Everybody knew about you. this except me. We have to just get through the night, okay? I'm crossing all kinds of boundaries. I don't want to be stuck here. What is going on? Meet Emily. Emily is having what you might describe as a bunch of first world problems tonight. Her boyfriend is going on an extended business trip to Vietnam, and he wants her to join him. 
she's maybe unsure of what she wants to do about that. And what's more, she's attending a dinner party with her friends, and things maybe aren't great on that front either. There's a new pairing of friends in this group, and no one really approves of it. There's another friend who's maybe gotten a little too quote-unquote crunchy hippie these days, and another is still battling a drinking problem. But what's more, there's a comet passing overhead. Now, there's a good possibility that you've been to dinner parties like this before. They're not really that fun, right? Now, with that in mind, Emily is dealing with not only an annoying, unpleasant night, but things are getting weird. There's power surges and strange events unfolding all around the neighborhood. There's a house up the street that still has power. And the people in that house seem very, very familiar. Is the comet to blame? And as all of this continues to unfold, Emily and her friends are about to have a long, strange night. So, Coherence has an initial setup that I honestly didn't enjoy. But as the last few weeks have passed and I've, you know, had more time to reflect on it, I found myself growing fond of this one. Joe, do you remember the day when I told you I was going to be watching this? We were in the middle of episode one, two, maybe three or four. And this movie came up as not smart on purpose, but something in the genre of horror that wasn't just a killer with a big knife. This was one of those movies that uses the situation and the scenario to give you the horrifying idea. And it was during those recording sessions in the very beginning of this show where you said you were going to watch this movie. Yeah. And, you know, he was absolutely dead on correct. Joe was not wrong about this. This movie uses characters and situation as opposed to any overt violence or threats or whatever. And my initial impression of the characters in this movie was decidedly negative. I don't blame you. I initially described it to Joe in a text message as a cross between like an early 90s TV drama, like 30 something and the outer limits. There are plot elements and concepts dropped in this movie that felt to me like an extended conversation between two stoners having a deep moment together, man. But those elements and concepts are admittedly pretty unusual, like deep cuts. Even with all that in mind, though, I still find the characters mostly unlikable, even though this film has grown on me. One thing that I told Joe that I have to reiterate here, one of the reasons I find this movie so incredibly watchable is that very fact. These are the worst people you've ever met. They are vapid and self-obsessed. You'd think that adults would be less petty and conniving, but no such luck. In this movie, the worst people you have ever met are having the worst and weirdest night of their lives and you don't even have to clean up after them. You just get to watch. Now, you will have to forgive me for sounding equally petty there. But as I've said in virtually every episode, horror movies are a place to experiment with some dark stuff. And we need to ask a pretty important question. Is Coherence a horror movie? Or is it a thriller? Or is it sci-fi? I feel like this sort of genre analysis can be 
well, not especially helpful. Our media landscape is absolutely saturated, and many of the genres that people cling to are very, very flimsy. The distinctions between genres might be sharper in some mainstream ventures, but I don't think that's true of indie media. Let me explain how I, how I justify this. For example, of the top 10 highest grossing films in the year 2022, five were superhero movies. Those are you know basically just action flicks. You have one sci-fi movie, one children's animated feature, one is the sequel to a video game movie franchise, one is a biographical study, and one is what you might think of as a basic action film. For reference, and in order of box office gross, that's these movies. Top Gun Maverick, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Jurassic Park Dominion, Minions, The Rise of Gru, The Batman, Thor, Love and Thunder, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Black Adam, and Elvis. It's worth noting that seven out of ten of these movies are sequels, and one is yet another reboot of a superhero series. Did you sit down and watch The Batman? I did not, mostly just because I haven't had the time, and I, I'm kind of just over superhero movies. When you have three hours of your life, I encourage you to sit down with that one because it is more of a detective story than it is a superhero movie. You know, you are not the first person to tell me that. A number of people whose opinions I really respect have told me that. And as I've said several times, you know, if you like these movies, good. Enjoy what you enjoy and don't listen to a jerk like me. What I am getting at, though, is that Hollywood is stuck in a formula designed to extract maximum profit or minimum effort and creativity. And something of that sort requires a lack of ambiguity. Minions, the rise of Gru, cannot have a sudden turn into German expressionist stylings like midway through, right? You need a clear A to B progression in order to draw in the largest possible audience. And movies like Coherence are anything but clear or direct. This movie trips with ambiguity and was never likely to be a blockbuster. And you might be thinking, Lucas, you are once again being easily distracted by your ideological hatred towards the mainstream. What does this little rant of yours have to do with the distinction between horror and thrillers? My argument is that thrillers tend to appeal to a broader audience by being less overtly horrifying. Joe, is it just my imagination, or do you remember a point in the late 90s through maybe like the mid-2000s where the term psychological horror was more prevalently used? I remember that coming up, trying to replace the word thriller. The word thriller was really an 80s or 90s concept, and I know you asked the question earlier, and I'm going to answer it now. The difference between the two, a horror movie historically involved some degree of blood and guts and or the supernatural, whereas a thriller was a psychological situation. It was the idea of something being smart, but not necessarily gory. And that used to be the line. When they started to really draw the line, we had to find a way around it. And that's where that word psychological horror comes from, because it can be gory, but it's still supposed to be smart at its core. Well, I'm glad you brought up the point of gore, right? Because I think movies like the Hopkins Hannibal Lecter trilogy 
are more often explicitly described as psychological horror instead of thrillers. And maybe I'm just misremembering that. You know, I could be entirely wrong here. Rather like our conversation about elevated horror, I sometimes wonder if thrillers are just another way of describing horror movies in a way that's maybe more palatable than putting the that icky H word label on a movie. But if that's not true, then what is a thriller? Is it something more mild than horror? Like, is it on a scale maybe? Something maybe less severe and less overtly distressing? Is it designed to evoke a different feeling in its audience? Well, okay, maybe that's possible. But what then is thrilling? Because I find being on, say, roller coasters to be thrilling. Some people say bungee jumping is thrilling. Some people say committing crime is thrilling. Those are three very different things, right? So the short answer is, I'm not sure that there's ultimately a difference media-wise between horror and thrillers. All genre distinctions, as I've said before, are arbitrary, sure, but they are helpful when trying to you know, provide some clear guidance. I feel like I might have like accidentally done like a cheap clickbaity kind of thing here. And I really do want to have that conversation at some point about the distinction between horror and thriller and psychological thrillers and, and all of that. And maybe there are people in our genre who are, who are better equipped to do that, to help us suss out the horror thriller split. So if you do think you're you know a part of that, or you've got some other show that you want us to check out that would help us with that, uh, email us at thefrightlabpodcast@gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at fright underscore lab underscore pod so we can continue that conversation. That brings me to another thing I wanted to get into at the top of this episode. Coherence is a movie with a really unique feeling. I don't mean that in terms of its atmosphere or its aesthetic, though I do like how those you know are played in the movie. More specifically, there's a feeling of theatricality that is absent from a good many films these days. Joe was the first person to directly say it aloud to me, but I was struck by it very sharply. To wit, the type of acting and theatricality struck me as very improvisational. And that's because most of this movie was improved. Effectively, the cast were all given a paragraph at the beginning of each shooting day, outlining things they needed to accomplish on screen, but how they hit those marks was more or less open to the cast. This movie was also filmed in an actual neighborhood and it's confined in one single house. It's not a set. It is, I believe, one of the cast members' homes. It's claustrophobic in a way that like, normal environments kind of aren't. It's a neat trick, I thought. And I think that in the hands of less capable actors, this movie would be basically dead on arrival a mostly uninteresting, overwrought, and silly mess of a movie. Instead, it's a tight little flick, basically a perfect 90-minute roller coaster. Recently, I watched uh, I Saw the Devil, the somewhat notorious Korean revenge drama. It wasn't a bad movie, per se. There was just a, a ton about it that I didn't like, but I think there were some really neat moments in it. One of the reasons I really didn't enjoy the movie, it dragged on so long and inevitably jumped the shark, you know, in that runtime 
couple of places. It took an at least mildly believable movie into this totally unbelievable extreme space. I admit that comparing I Saw the Devil to a movie like Coherence is totally unfair. They're wildly different films, from plot to budget to scope and so on. But one of the reasons I think Coherence actually works is because of its length. At an hour and a half, it's never allowed time to sit too long or, you know, like lose any momentum from scene to scene. And even at its most weird, Coherence is a self-contained film. I don't think I'm willing to call it perfect, but it's very smartly done in that regard. But there is an elephant in the room with this movie, or maybe more specifically, there's a cat. One thing that Coherence is stuffed with is these aforementioned, like, stoner conversations. I confess, I'm being a touch hyperbolic about these points. Let me explain. This movie contains a lot of chatter about parallel universes, Schrodinger's cat, references to the drug ketamine, and the Tunguska incident. I am going to try to go through those briefly and just to try to explain this stuff. But a word of warning, there is a high probability that I'm going to get a lot of this at least partially wrong. I'm what you might describe as like an enthusiast of cultural arcana. In plain English, I like it weird. The more unusual or off-putting, the more I tend to appreciate a thing. So... I sort of knew about this stuff before I started watching this movie. To start, the Tunguska incident. In June of 1908, there was a massive explosion over the Tunguska River region of Russia, located in the Siberian taiga. Scientists now estimate that the explosion was roughly around 12 megatons, the equivalent of 12 million metric tons of TNT, I think. As it turns out, I am not a physicist, I don't actually understand the difference between tons and megatons when you're talking about explosive power, but that's what I've read. I'm a podcaster, not a physicist. So anyway, keep that in mind. We need to know that the Tunguska explosion is one of the biggest impact explosions ever recorded. That doesn't include like the impact that killed off the dinosaurs, by the way, but nonetheless, it's interesting. The Tunguska incident has been referenced in Thomas Pinchon's Against the Day, uh, an episode of Doctor Who, and I think it was mentioned in Ghostbusters. I watched that again recently. I'm pretty sure they brought that up. Okay, uh, next part. Parallel universes and Schrodinger's cat. These are mostly concepts from quantum physics. Mostly, they're viewed as like thought experiments. Schrodinger's cat uh, basically says that a thing can happen and not happen simultaneously, and that our interaction in events determines these outcomes. The experiment takes its name from uh, physicist Irvin Schrodinger, who created a thought experiment involving a cat and radioactive material and a poison killing the cat and... Ugh, God, my head hurts. <laughs> okay, so okay, then then the parallel universes thing. Okay, so that's sometimes called the many worlds hypothesis. Don't hurt yourself. Uh, I'm trying not to, man. Um, it was put forward by a guy named Hugh Everett as a different answer to what's called quantum decoherent events, such as Schrodinger's cat. 
Everett basically said that each quantum event, quote-unquote, causes splits in the universe where a new parallel universe exists with different outcomes, I think. It's all heady stuff, way above my intellectual caliber. At the risk of, you know, too many spoilers, it sort of explains the events of coherence, or at least it, like, adds grist to the mill for the plot. And finally... Ketamine. Um, Ketamine is a drug, sometimes called Special K. Uh, It's one of those weird drugs that actually has medical purposes, but it's also used and abused outside of those contexts. It's used as a sedative in both humans and in uh, veterinary medicine. It also apparently has some, like, recently discovered value as uh, an antidepressant. Um... Outside of these legitimate uses, though, it's been used by people as a hallucinogen, uh, sometimes as a party drug, which seems a little weird. Used improperly, it's pretty dangerous stuff. So maybe don't start doing homebrew ketamine experiments based on what we're saying here. Just throwing that out there. At any rate, uh, it's argued as a plot point that maybe ketamine causes part of this plot. (sighs) Okay, so you can see what I mean. Trying to reference or include those things in your script can be kind of a minefield, right? In less competent hands, I worry that bringing those subjects up would be just a mess. Adding a layer of very silly obscurity into a movie that does not need to be laughed at for the pref- you know for the premise to work. Oh God, I got through that part in one piece. Holy shit. So, you know, Joe brought up this uh, this interesting question about how do we even talk about the plot and how do we do it? I mean, you know, my intro at the beginning of the episode is I still think correct, but there's kind of this thing about uh, event wise in this film that there are clear breaks, not in the way that a film typically has like a first, second and third act. And there are always these points that in hindsight, you can see, oh, this ends the first act. This ends the second act, etc. There are these points in the film where it takes kind of a left turn and you don't get to really see what that left turn means until like the final 10 or 15 minutes of the movie. And I have to say, um, those final 10 or 15 minutes are not just beautifully acted like they're really well done. Uh, For a cast not having a normal script and not having a normal kind of direction, the final 15 minutes of this film are just fantastic. They're so well done and they're so well acted. And any like any mild loathing you have for the characters is utterly redeemed in the third act, especially in those last few minutes of the film. And more importantly, like not only is it impressive that it was kind of, um, you know, acted on the fly, there's a strong improv element. You have to remember that one of the big characters on screen is also one of the most important members of the, of the actual production itself. That stood out to me at the very beginning. I remember watching this film for the first time and something seemed odd. I know this was at a time when the shaky cam was the way of filmmaking. It still is sometimes. It needs to die, by the way. But watching the cast work together... Here are things I know now that I didn't know when I watched it. None of the cast members knew each other. This was done intentionally to make them appear uncomfortable on screen. They all had bullet points. And Alex Manoujian, who plays Amir, 
is one of the writers of this film. There are a few scenes where it seems like the cast is being guided to the next step in the story, and that seems to be why he was there, to make sure the story stayed in the right direction. I don't know how many outtakes or how many different takes there are of the scenes in this movie, but the final product cut together covers you in tension. You don't feel comfortable watching this movie. I can only describe it as, remember how you felt the first time you watched Memento? Oh, yeah, okay. The first thing you did was go back and rewatch Memento. Because once it was all explained, you got to experience what was really going on. And that happens while you're watching Coherence. Pieces of the rules are given to you along the way. And even though they don't make sense, at the end of the day, it's how this group of, can you even call them friends? They strike me as a group of friends who have all grown up to become different people and are forcing themselves to get together on the weekends once in a while. That's, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like, you know, I was joking at the beginning of the episode about these being the worst people you've ever met and they're now having the worst night of their life together and you're not responsible for it. I still stand by that mostly. <laughs> but one of the things that it does remind me of is, you know, we've all been in that place where you just... You just want whatever's happening to be done. It's not a bad thing. You're not getting like open heart surgery being done on you. And it's not a, a terribly tense, awful situation. It's just uncomfortable. And you kind of don't like the people in the room with you. But you, for whatever reason, have to do it. Think of the worst Christmas you ever had. It's kind of like that. Only there's talk about ketamine. Think it, about the worst high school reunion you ever had. Oh, man. Even Christmas is family, and you can kind of let that go. But people that you haven't hung out with for a reason, and you have to be in the same room with them and talk about life as if life is perfectly fine, that I, sucks. I date myself incessantly on this show. I'm constantly joking about me being old because I am. But I think there's a layer of this that is... Um, me not wanting to talk too much about myself. So I'm not going to say how many uh, high school reunions for my graduating class have passed, <laughs> but suffice it to say that when I learned that one was happening, I went, no, it wasn't that long ago. Ooh. Oh, yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, it was. That was a that is a harrowing thing to start thinking about. But uh, I, I digress. The point I'm making is that there were a lot of people that, you know, you know, throughout the course of your life, a lot of people I knew throughout the course of my life that don't get me wrong. I don't wish any ill on them. And I, I hope they're doing well wherever they're at. But if I never talk to them ever again, or if I never see them ever again, they weren't close to me. They weren't family members. They weren't friends. They weren't people who had a real impact on me. So what's happening to them now is kind of mostly not my concern. I'm, I'm not. A, it's not life or death if I don't find out. And that, I think, is really hard. And Joe's observation that the that these characters, they maybe have all known each other a little too long, seems to be the case. You know, I don't like to talk too much about the production of the Fright Lab, you know, inside the confines of an episode. It's not like it's trade secrets. It's just that's off mic. That's not in the episode. Doesn't need to be there. But sometimes a look behind the curtain is fun. And I don't want to rely on that as a device too often. You know, this isn't a magic show. 
But this is one of those spots where I, I sort of have to do that for a few minutes. There's a struggle talking about movies, especially when limited to essentially one genre in the way that I like to get into them, you know? Not every movie made is like especially deep, and I don't think that they all should be. And there are a handful of movies I've seen in the last few years where I could just say, this movie sucks, and here's why, for around 30-ish minutes. I mentioned earlier that I saw uh, the film I Saw the Devil, and it was, I just didn't enjoy it. I don't think I need to like every movie I discuss for the show, you know, but I realized it wouldn't have been a very interesting episode. Like I was taking the notes, I was thinking about how the script was going to go, and I just scrapped it about, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes in. But a movie like Coherence uh, gives me a space to comfortably indulge in my love of that cultural arcana kind of stuff, a place where it's relevant and fun to get into. I, I, don't, I just don't get that very often. And I know that I kind of blew through the section talking about Schrodinger's cat and the Tunguska incident. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, and I'm tired of trying to pronounce it right now. <laughs> um, I know I blew through that section mostly because getting into that stuff could really gum up an otherwise mostly solid discussion. And I didn't even get into the the Comet subplot. Uh, there's a discussion a little bit about Comet mania, how it hits, you know, every time a, a major comet passes by, like Halley's Comet, or for those of you who remember the whole Heaven's Gate thing, Hail Bop. So I'm going to include some links in the show notes about Comet mania. Uh, those subjects are on their own really deep rabbit holes and like a five minute Google search can be eye opening and fun. So, you know, pursue those links on your own time. To me, coherence feels like a lightning strike caught in a bottle. There's a lot of meat on the proverbial bones of this film, and I wouldn't have considered it had Joe not brought it up on my radar. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Recently, I've talked a lot about the value of less mainstream films and how you have to go to places like Tubi, I, I think I've mentioned before, to find it. Coherence is a classic example of this like under-the-radar indie gem sadly missing in today's film discourse. Horror, or I guess thrillers for that matter, seem once again relegated to a specialist's interest. Even though horror had its moment with the elevated horror thing, I think it's probably about time that it's going to end up just being a, a specialist thing. Sure, we have Shudder and other streaming services to help us along that path. Movies like Barbarian get some mainstream notice, but not in the way that like an MCU film does. And just because I watched Barbarian on HBO's streaming app and, you know, not Disney Plus, doesn't mean that it's like a smash success, but it was really good and might get more notice given the platform it's on. I'm not so egomaniacal to think that I'm like somehow preserving films such as Coherence or somehow like throwing it into mainstream conversation. I think I've also said that I'm not really interested in being a tastemaker. But there's so little mainstream discussion about movies like this or The House of the Devil that it can be daunting. So, my clearly well-educated, humble fans, what do you think? We would like to know what other movies 
are even remotely similar to Coherence, or if they're just some other films you'd like us to be looking into. Or if you're a historian or can better explain to me the Tunguska incident, or just know more about <laughs> physics and can explain physics stuff to me like I'm a toddler, you need to contact me. Help. Please, God, help me. <laughs> and if you're a fan of this movie, what do you make of the weirder points in this film? As always, we can be reached at the Fright Lab Podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Fright underscore lab underscore pod, provided that, well, you know what? I've made that joke a million times. You already know. <laughs> uh, we're also on Letterboxd, Fright Lab Pod. Worth checking out. We're going to be, you know, we're always just kind of posting stuff we're watching. It's cool to check out. The Fright Lab is my fault. Rather, it's written and researched by me, Lucas Yoakum, and is co-hosted and produced and just kind of beaten into shape by one Mr. Joseph Wren. Joe, would you let our audience know where else people can follow your work? We struggle to talk about movies sometimes on this show when talking about the plot really does spoil it. I want everybody to go watch this movie and enjoy it and then come back and listen to the last five minutes of this episode that will happen after this outro occurs. Lucas, I need everyone who loves heavy music, who listens to all things heavy metal, doom and gloom, black metal, whatever your taste may be, you need to listen to all the podcasts at DiscussMetal.com. We talk about heavy metal topics. We talk about heavy metal bands. We talk about all things music. And if you're a fan of music and you create scary sounds on the internet, we want to hear from you. The Fright Lab Podcast at gmail.com. If you'll let us, we'll play your scary sounds because scary sounds is what we are looking for. You hear them throughout the show. I also want you to take your phone out and whatever platform you listen to this show on, give us a thumbs up, give us a five star review, tell everyone how much you love the Fright Lab. Because we love the Fright Lab, we like making the Fright Lab, and we want to know how much you enjoy listening to the Fright Lab. If you've been here from the beginning, or if you just jumped on the train, we love you just the same. Lucas, tell everyone how much we love independent musicians. Oh my god. You know, indie art can be a thankless job sometime. But you know, it's what you call a labor of love. It's something you do because, god damn it, it's so much fun, and you enjoy it. And I would be watching horror movies and weird movies, whether or not I was doing this podcast. But doing this podcast, Joe and I, we, we have a blast every single time. And we're so happy that everyone is listening and downloading. So if you're making independent horror-related, horror-adjacent, horror-themed music or art, we want to know. Give us a shout. We'll happily feature you on the show. And with that in mind, friends, audience, we'll talk to you soon. I've seen this movie before. What is it called again? Oh, yeah. The Grudge. It's kind of like The Grudge, but dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Ladies so. and gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome to Lucas Says Another Jackass Thing. Did I say that right? No. No, it's James Ward Burkett. And Mr. Burkett, if you're hearing this, I apologize. Allow me to, allow me to fucking fix that. <laughs> Spoilers, if you haven't seen this film, you really should before you listen to the rest of this. What do you think about my original point? This is a movie about how people deal with a situation. 
and how terrifying that can become because of mob mentality and mob rules. Well, on top of that, like one of my one of the things I really liked about this movie that, that I think they say it in the trailer. Do you know your friends? Do you, how well do you know yourself? Well, I don't think most people terribly know themselves or their friends very well. You know, I mean, I, I think there's that layer of this film that that is so smart because it does. It, again, it takes people who are already having the worst night of their life. They they already don't want to be at this party. And then you're going to throw the weirdest fucking thing a human has ever dealt with on top of them and say, fuck you, deal with it. There are many points throughout the film where they're either going outside to look at the comet or they're trying to get everyone not to go outside. And this movie has to be seen. You have to just take this in to fully grasp what I'm trying to tell you without fully spoiling it. But this film takes the multiverse seriously. (laughs) And there is a scene in the middle of the film when they haven't quite figured it out yet and they're outside walking around looking for a mirror and your main character has a conversation with someone that they both realize they're in the wrong place. (laughs) It's the real multiverse of madness. It really is. That's the best way I could say it. You hit the nail. That is 100% what this movie is doing. It is messing with your sanity. It is messing with your expectations. It is taking this multiverse concept and making it scary. Do I get to talk about the ending? I think we should save that because I think it's so delicious and so much fun. I don't want anyone to anyone to know what they're walking into. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time. (laughs) 